Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Well, hello, podcast listeners. It has been a long time since I posted a podcast, and for that, I apologize. But I have some good things that have gone on and uh, in my life that have been keeping me from the podcast. And so uh, I graduated in June with a Master of Arts in Theology from Fuller Theological Seminary, and I'm really excited about uh, just kind of continuing my own growth as a learner, uh, but not having to write papers and those kind of things. So I'm excited to have finished that long road and uh, really bring that learning uh, to my writing and to my podcast instead of just um, to things like papers do to professors. But uh, that, that kind of took a lot out of me the last couple months, and so I apologize for being slow. The other thing that is really, really exciting is that uh, my wife Janelle and I are going to have a baby, and we're expecting this December, and so we're really excited about our little baby girl that's on its way, and want to share that joy with you. And so I thought my podcast coming back on, I recorded this episode with Janelle, my wife, uh, oh man, months ago. And uh, I'm really excited about being able to share it with you. Actually, I think we recorded it in December of 2017, and our baby is due around the same week that we recorded this podcast this coming year. So uh, little did we know back then when we were recording this episode that uh, by the next December we would be parents. So we're really excited, and I hope that this conversation with my wife, Janelle, who's a teacher, Uh, who's an inspiration to me and a great, uh, just a great teacher and leader and a member of our church and inspiration uh, to so many. She's also a great volleyball coach and she shares uh, some of those insights with me and we just have a great conversation. So hope you enjoy this podcast and look for more episodes coming out soon. All right, we're here, Value Add, uh, conversations and reflections that add value to your life. And sitting at home on my couch, uh, or love seat, I guess, uh, with my beautiful wife, Janelle. Hello. All right, so this is a lot of fun because the reason I started uh, thinking about doing my own podcast was because almost two years ago, you and I were on a podcast called The Digital Side Hug with David Rubio. Yeah. And uh, he interviewed us because he was... I think 20 year anniversary and 20 years of youth ministry and we were like one year anniversary (laughs) and one year youth ministry uh, full time. So um, I I apologize as I think both of these podcasts I've given you very little notice but um, yeah that's just the nature of it I think. (laughs) That's right that's right but it's fun it's fun to do a podcast with you Um, and so we're going to talk about a few things. about education and teaching um, and coaching, because those are some of the hats you uh, play, as well as probably a little bit about being um, in ministry or being the wife of somebody in ministry, meaning you're in ministry. Um, But uh, let's talk a little bit about how we met. Some people might have listened to the introduction podcast where I'd share a little bit about uh, our story, but um, let's, you know, how did did we meet? And uh, yeah. Yeah. um, I... Grew up down here in California, in Orange County, and uh, actually went to Northwest Christian on a volleyball scholarship to play volleyball there. And so my junior year, um, you came in as an incoming junior 
and I was part of the orientation staff, so I was kind of on campus welcoming all the new people to campus, and it was a small campus, so um, that was a pretty easy task. And actually, your, your, your younger brother came in at the same time, so it was kind of this interesting dynamic where we just kind of were in the same place at the same time a lot, and that's just kind of how it evolved into a relationship. We just were around each other a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, that's for sure. I mean, I think the er, one of the earliest memories I can have of us talking quite a bit was um, on the bus ride back from orientation's kind of big hurrah where we went on the rafting trip and stuff. So. Right, and my memory of that trip is that you let me fall into the ice-cold river, so... Well, yes, that's true. I mean, I... We were doing the trust fall thing. The gu- the guide on the raft was like, "Here, link your oars and lean back." And I guess I, I'm really bad at linking oars <laughs> or something. Well, we ended up swimming together in the cold water, so that's it, right. It ended all right. It did. It did. So, um, let's see. We we met in college. Uh, what uh, you you studied elementary education, obviously, because you're a teacher. Um, what made you study elementary ed? Right. I actually started college as a psychology major um, with the intention of going into family therapy because um, I just was really interested in the concept of family therapy and how kids can benefit from that service. And after the first semester, I really realized that science is not where I belong. It's not a world I belong in. So I sat down with my counselor and was talking about different options Uh, and different things I could pursue, and education came to the forefront because family therapy really was based on how I could help kids, and teaching is kind of the next rung on that ladder, I guess. It was the next way I could focus on helping kids and get a degree in something that supported children. So that's kind of how I ended up in the teaching department, and I fell in love with it after that. Yeah. So um, you, let's see... um... You came to Northwest Christian to Eugene, where I was already living, but you weren't from there. You're you're from Orange County, which, you know, my mom struggles because we lived in San Diego when we were first married. We've lived Everything now in L.A. Everything south of L.A. is L.A. for her. <laughs> and for her, everything is like L.A., L.A., you know, Disneyland's in L.A., um, To the all the beaches are in L.A., and... Um, so for her, we've lived in LA our entire marriage, but that's not true. We've lived in San Diego and now, right. now we've lived in LA, but so, um, you know, for a kid that, that grew up in Oregon and, and other places, but you know, I loved Disneyland and so Orange County and, um, what the, just the beaches and all, all the sun and the movie stars and all those kind of things like Orange County is kind of the place, like it's, it's. I mean, and it's beautiful. So what was it like growing up in Orange County? It was normal. I, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't see famous people at the grocery store. I wasn't starring in any movies when I was younger. Um, you know, it's it just felt normal. We went to school. We had summers off when we went to the beach and to the pool and hung out with our friends. Spent a lot of time at frozen yogurt places and ice blocking down the hill, um, which I realize is a foreign concept for people outside of California, so I'll explain it. You go to the gas station and you buy a big block of ice, and then you sit on that block of ice and ride down a grass hill many, many times until you're tired and your whole butt is frozen solid, and then you go home and you do it again the next day. Um, And that's kind of what you do in the winter in Orange County, and 
it's just a really stupid way to have a lot of fun with your friends and ruin a perfectly good grassy hill. Um, but it just, yeah, it felt normal. Disneyland was just part of the normal day. Knott's Berry Farm was just kind of part of the normal day. It, it didn't seem magical and fantastic when I was growing up around it. Which I suppose it was. It just didn't feel... I didn't know any different, so it just felt normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we'll probably talk a little bit more about Orange County and your growing up, but um, wanted to, in in the introduction, we also got to talk about... I mean, since we're talking about things that add value to our lives, um, right. we've got a little addition to our family in the last nine months. Um, Which makes it sound like a baby, but it's a fur baby. That's it's... true, yeah, it's a fur baby. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, no, we got Misty, what, um, yeah, nine yeah, months ago. Yeah, nine months ago. And when we moved into our new apartment that would allow pets, and uh, she's been a... She's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> she's old and blind and cuddles, and she's great. Yeah, so we rescued her from Best Friends LA, and uh, she really is our best friend, so... Um, so let's see, you're, you're in your role as, as teaching, uh, as, a, as a teacher because of your um, elementary ed degree, and when you, when we moved, um, you know, we graduated and I moved to San Diego and you moved home to Orange County for uh, the time before our, our marriage. Um, let's see, you, let, let's talk a little bit about that, um, that transitional time, um, so what, what, what was it like moving home after four years in college away? It was interesting. Uh, my mom teases me because I went to college when I was 17. I've always been the youngest in my class. So um, I was 17 when I moved to college, and I really only ever spent summers at home. So when I moved home after graduation, I was 21, living at home. And it just is, it's different living in a dorm slash apartment with a roommate, and then moving back home with your parents. Uh, luckily, I wasn't accustomed to late nights and crazy things because I've always been an early sleeper. So that part of life just stayed the same when I moved home. But it was fun. It was cool to be around my parents and just kind of hanging out. But, of course, wedding planning is stressful, and so that part was maybe not my favorite. But it was it was nice to be home for longer than just you know, a month for summer, so, yeah. yeah, and it just, it seemed like an eternity, we were engaged for a long time, so, <laughs> it was true. nice when the wedding day finally came, and it was like, the planning is over, the party is here, we're done with this, now let the marriage begin. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah, well, and I'm sure, I mean, there's many more podcasts to talk about marriage and all that kind of stuff, I'm yeah. sure, um, but let, let's, uh, let's look at teaching here, and think about that a little bit, um, so you've taught in the public school system, um, and you've been blessed to get public school jobs, actually, uh, every time instead of having to do charter or something else. Um, yeah, so the first thing you got when, we, uh, when you moved in with me in San Diego was a, a job in San Diego at um, Valencia Park in mm-hmm. first grade. So, yeah. and it was your first full-time. My first job. First job. Really. So, uh, talk a little bit about that. You were, um, teaching first grade. Yeah. Um, and actually I remember that first year being really shocked that I was adult enough to be the only adult in the room for the day. Um, kind of just things would pop up and I would look around like, where's the adult? And then realize, oh, that's me. I am the adult. Uh, that, that's a daunting feeling. Sometimes I still feel that way. Um, but 
yeah, it was, it was awesome. I had just so much fun teaching those kids. Um, in first grade, they come in as just such little ones and they, they know their letters and they know a few sight words, but that's really all they've got. And by the time they leave, they're reading and they're writing and they, they understand basic science concepts and it's just so fun to watch them develop because they really turn into little people while they're going through first grade. And so it just, it was a blast. I loved that classroom. Yeah. So, uh, you were, you studied and when we met in college, you were, um, like we said, junior years. And so you were starting your student teaching time. So, um, and you, you worked with, I think, um, Two or no? How many classes did you do uh, student teaching? Over for? the two years, I think I worked in five or six different classrooms. Five or six different classrooms. So, how did those help or inform the way that you um, entered your first full-time teaching job? Um, I think student teaching is an interesting thing because you run into so many different types of teachers. So, um, I can distinctly remember one of my student teaching experiences was so awful, um, and the teacher that I was studying under was just dispassionate about teaching and uh, had just kind of lost the will to be creative in the classroom and to follow her students' passions. And so that definitely shaped me into a mentality of I don't want to become that. So if I ever get to that point, I need to stop myself from teaching because that doesn't do anybody any good. Um, But on the flip side of that coin, (laughs) there was one like that and there were, you know, four or five others that were just in love with their teaching positions and they loved their students and the first grade classroom that I student taught in especially um, was my senior year and so I was there for the entire year I believe Um, and that teacher just was incredible she would check her baggage at the door and she just would kind of leave her life waiting for when she was going to leave work and she just poured her entire heart and soul into her students all day long and never took a break from thinking about them and prioritizing them. And that kind of shaped me into the teacher I am today in trying to leave my stuff at home and just focusing on my kids when I'm at school. And so it was, it was a powerful experience for me to be able to learn from so many different types of people. That's awesome. But none of them were really Prep, uh, very good preparation for a STEAM school. Right. Um, so Valencia Park was this uh, science, technology, engineering, uh, yeah. arts, and math, yep. right? So um, what what is STEAM and, you know, what was your... Because you had to kind of craft curriculum at, at uh, Valencia Park, right? Yeah, so a STEAM school is really a, a school system that's focused on the future and um, kind of thinking about the reality of technology in our future and how we're, we're having to prepare a generation of students in a way that we've never needed to prepare students before. Because by the time they become the leaders of our society, technology is going to be somewhere we can't even imagine at this point in time. Um, so really focusing on sciences and focusing on creativity where Um, You know, you recognize a day of coding and even little five-year-olds in first grade are sitting there on their tablets and they're coding a game and creating this this thing with their technology that we just wouldn't have dreamed of even just a few years ago. So 
Um, STEAM schools are really kind of revolutionary in their thinking, but they're also such a different beast because they don't include curriculum. So when you show up to teach at a STEAM school, they kind of just say you're going to have one day a month where you and your grade level team are not going to be with your students. We're going to provide a sub and you're going to sit down together and you're going to create the following month's curriculum. And you, so you sit down with the state standards and you really dive into them and you gain intimate knowledge about what they are and what order you should go through them and you create your science and your history and your English language development and your art and all of that into a curriculum for the following month. And that's just something you don't get trained for in college, or at least I didn't when I was in school. Um, there's, you know, no, there's no such class as Curriculum 101. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's just no preparation for that. So um, that was definitely interesting. But it was also awesome because you kind of get to take into account what your students are really interested in and what they love, and you get to incorporate that into lessons because nobody's telling you otherwise. There you go, yeah. And, and that sounds quite unique. Um, obviously, fast forward now, um, you know, we... Oh, let's see. We we decided to move, I guess, midway through that year, and uh, I had started my master's uh, degree and said, you know what, let's move up to Glendale to be closer to Pasadena so that I can go to Fuller. Uh, so that means, or that meant that you had to leave your full-time position, yeah. um, and it took a little while once we moved up here for you to find some full-time work, and you ended up um, becoming a, a volleyball coach and then uh, long-term subbing in a classroom. And you landed at Blair uh, Middle School, where you were also the high school volleyball coach at the Blair uh, High School. Right, they joined. Yeah, so um, still a public school, uh, but now you're teaching sixth grade. So how is that transition going from first grade right. to sixth grade? Sixth grade... Is, I need to find a creative word for how I would describe sixth grade. Uh, it's just, it's very different. First graders, when they show up to school, they're just thrilled to see you. They want to show you their new backpack or their new toy or their new haircut. And they, they just aim to please. And they make, like I said earlier, they just make so much progress from day one to the last day of school. And they're just ever-changing and they're just hilarious and adorable and then you get to sixth grade where they're still hilarious but for different reasons because they're awkward and they're trying to figure out who they are and who they want to be and they just don't get it yet. Um, but gosh, they're so smart by the time they're in sixth grade and it's it's intimidating as a person who has an early education degree to work with kids who are 11 and 12 years old because they're so old and they're so developed and especially where I was thrown in was honors, history, and science. And I am not particularly good at either of those things. Um, so the only way it could have been worse was a math class. But science and history was just completely out of my wheelhouse. Completely, completely out of my wheelhouse. And so were sixth graders. So I was very straightforward with those students with not going as far as saying I have no idea what I'm doing, but getting as close to that as I could without losing credibility and kind of just learning with them and just kind of being vulnerable with them and saying, hey, you know what, I totally goofed that lesson yesterday because I had no idea, you know, that I was wrong. And so we got to redo the whole thing today. And they're very gracious and they're very sweet, but 
it was very, very different. Um, and it wasn't a STEAM school, so there was curriculum that we were following. There were more textbooks and workbooks um, provided that I needed to follow. And so it was just a very different environment altogether where it wasn't young students anymore. It wasn't creating my own curriculum anymore. It wasn't basing the education off of what they're interested on and interested in. It was based off of where the textbook led you next. And so it was, you know, I kind of lost some of my creativity in that, in that area. Well, I, I don't know if you lost all your creativity. I mean, I heard about <laughs> uh, standing on desks and uh, making rap music videos yes. and uh, class <laughs> websites and all sorts of things. You so. get very creative when you have more students than desks. So I, I stood on tables a lot and we wrote rap songs because that was what that's all I knew how to do. There so, you go. There you go. So there we were. Adding value to students' lives through <laughs> rap songs and, uh, yeah, and standing on desks. So now, that, that was the spring of this, um, of this year. We're recording this um, in December. And, uh, and so, let's see, you've now taught um, early transitional kinder for yeah. the last uh, almost four months. Yeah. Um, wow. So you've gone from middle school to back now again to even younger. So explain what ETK is. Right, so ETK um, is kind of the more educational version of preschool. And so if you have a student who, or if you have a child who has just turned four or might turn five within the school year, um, they get sent either to e preschool or ETK. And then if they're a little bit older than the birthday cutoff for ETK, they would just go to transitional kindergarten. Um, so it's pretty much what you put your kid in before they go to kindergarten. So they're going to enter kindergarten with the alphabet and their basic sounds. They're going to be able to count to 20, and they're going to have just been in school where they're relating with other children. Um, so, yeah, again, a totally different beast. First grade, I would still say, is my ultimate teaching position goal because they're kind of in my sweet spot. Um, sixth grade was way, like I said, way outside my wheelhouse. And ETK is closer to where I want to be, but still something that they just don't train you for in college. Um, again, we're going back now to no curriculum, not because it's a STEAM school, but because they're four years old. And so there's just no way to place a curriculum on an age group that, that is that young. So there are state standards, but most of them relate to motor skills, fine and gross motor skills and social-emotional, physical development. So there's a lot of singing, a lot of dancing, a lot of learning through play, a lot of puppet shows and using imaginations to solve problems, um, a lot of you know, using things like cooking. I do a lot of cooking in my classroom in the crock pot to kind of do measuring lessons and um, patterns and so trying to build in math concepts that, you know, the state says these kids need to understand how patterns work, red, yellow, red, yellow. So instead of sitting down with blocks and making them sit still, we do cooking where it's like, okay, we're going to do a girl puts it in and then a boy puts ingredients in and then a girl does it and then a boy. And that's a pattern. Um, and cooking can really capture a lot of standards. So I'm back to being able to be a lot more creative with my lessons with this age group. 
but again, I'm back to, okay, what are they interested in? How can I make the state standards fit that? And how can I make it fun? Because they're so antsy. And even though they're the same age as preschoolers, they're not half day like preschoolers. They're there all day. So I, I kind of find new beasts with this teaching position every day that I go to, go to work. Yeah, I, de- I describe it when I see the pictures you send me or... Um when I was in the classroom, it's like your little troop of littles, you know, it's just like mm-hmm. you're followed with minions, um, around you. So, yeah. uh, it's yeah, definitely like herding cats it for is. sure. Yep. Um, so we, we now, you know, in just your three years of teaching, um, you've seen, you know, first grade in a steam school where there is no curriculum, but there is an emphasis and you're kind of creating these new leaders for the future to middle school where um, you're trying to just kind of stay ahead of them and and there is a curriculum but um, it's you know it's there but then now you're in ETK where it's like maybe maybe they don't there's not really a curriculum for them right. and um, and yet there is really some education goals so uh, if you were just to kind of as a teacher reflect a little bit on, What's the value? How does education add value to um, our lives as a society, as these kids, as you as a teacher? You know, what, what do you see the value of education as? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll specifically talk about public education since that's the only realm I've ever been in and it's something I feel strongly about. Um, public education is, I think, very, very important for our society as a whole and for our children because... For one thing, you don't always get the same viewpoint. So um, as much as I absolutely adore the concept of uh, Christian education, I think there's something to varying viewpoints as you grow up and not having to buy into them, but being able to recognize that people think differently than you sometimes, and that's okay. And um, recognizing it's okay for me to think what I think, but it's also okay for them to think what they think. And what I like so much about public school is that for the most part, students are going to have a different teacher every year. Um, so from K or ETK to 12th grade, they're going to have a different teacher every year. So they're going to have a different teaching style. They're going to have a possibly different gender from year to year. They might have a male teacher in first grade and a female teacher in second grade. Um, they're going to have just different activities around them, different field trips and different curriculum where they're walking through that every year. And what I love about public school systems is that kids are interacting with so many other people throughout their day. Um, And I've said this before, but I I think that parents often carry a heavy load that no one prepares them for. Um, And there's no way that a parent can know everything that their child is going to need as they grow up. And especially now that we're in such a technological age, parents just don't know what technology is out there anymore because it's happening so quickly that um, there's just no way to keep up with it all. So sending your child to school really helps them with their social skills, with, you know, sharing with others. And they might be really good at sharing with their sister, but when they have to share with 17 other kids in class, it's a whole different ballgame. Being able to learn how to use their voice instead of their body to solve problems, um, you know, pushing over your friend is not okay. You need to use your words to tell them what you're, what you're feeling and what you're thinking. So you just kind of, you glean a lot from being in public school 
because you are hearing so many different voices and you're getting so much input and um, whether or not they're effective, I have no idea, but there are um, like say no to drugs campaigns every year and there are um, like jump rope for the heart and jogathons and all kinds of things where you're being exposed to so many different aspects of life in one place and you're gaining friends and you're learning how to be a friend and you're learning how to cope with losing a friend when, you know, they go to a different school or, you know, they move away. And so I, I think education is really valuable for more than just the textbooks that you're learning from. Yeah. So you see your role as a teacher then to be kind of, uh, this mentor, you know, yeah. um, in these kids' lives. And as I think back even on my life as, uh, you know, somebody who did homeschooling, um, obviously I really valued the effect that my mom as, as the teacher had, but, um, there are a myriad of voices that were mentors in my life and it was more difficult to find those obviously because we, uh, my parents had to be a little more creative and right. let me, uh, you know, go and explore a little bit more in different areas. And we were blessed with um, some cool things. I mean, I can think of um, people who were mentors on a basketball court, um, who were friends, uh, parents of friends of mine, um, from Cub Scout leaders, you know, just these different creative ways. But you're right, school is kind of a natural place where those mentors can be found. And it's built in, um, for sure. So, um you know, and one of my favorite responses that I always would have to say to people is, you know, uh, when they would find out that I was homeschooled, it's like, well, how did you get any social skills? And I, right. I didn't find it difficult, but um, I know that's not always true for everybody. And and my mom was one of the, the first people to always say uh, homeschooling isn't for everyone. Um, and if you're going to homeschool, you have to be really intentional about not being the only voice your child ever hears and right. finding other mentors because you... Yeah that's not built in anymore, you have to be intentional about doing yeah, it yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, so let, let's transition to the other hat that you're wearing, where you're also um, really adding value to uh, students' lives, and that's through coaching. So uh, you you played volleyball growing up. Um, yeah, always. Yeah, always. Uh, so <laughs> why, why volleyball and, uh, you know... Um, how, did, how has it added value to your life? Um, as I recall, I know I tried gymnastics, and as I recall, I was kind of kicked out in the sense of gymnastics because I think I just wasn't very good at it, and I was just kind of going to be too tall and lanky and awkward. I tried soccer, and I broke my collarbone, so after that, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And my sister played volleyball, and she was 10 years older than me, and it you know, it was kind of just one of those things where I wanted to be her, and so I played volleyball, and my whole family kind of loved to play volleyball, so it was just kind of one of those things we did, and my first club year, I think I was eight years old, wow. so it really has been, almost as far as my memory goes back, volleyball has been part of it. So, um, let's see, you you played... Um... You were on a club team that won the Junior Olympics. Um, yeah, I have a gold medal somewhere in a box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's quite exciting. Um, and like you said in the uh, earlier part, you, you came to Northwest Christian to play volleyball on a volleyball scholarship. Right. Um, 
but uh, and while you were there, you actually started coaching. Um, so, uh, how many years have you been a, a club coach and a, and a high school coach? Um, club. My first year was my freshman year of college. My college coach actually owned a club, so I coached for his club for four years, and then this is my second year of club down here in California. So I'm in my sixth year of club coaching and just finished my second year of high school coaching. So Awesome, yeah. awesome. So, um, you know, thinking back on the, the lessons you've learned over the years in coaching um, and now, you know, being in your second year of doing it at the high school at Blair, um, what, what, are you, uh, what are you trying to create in this um, in, in your coaching, in the students that you coach? Um, I think my, my main thing is that I just really want to be a mentor and a positive, positive role model. And that's something that is kind of just my whole life motto. Uh, the screensaver on my phone says, inspire someone today. And that's just kind of my mantra of what I want to accomplish in my life is to inspire somebody to um, be a positive influence because especially in the area we live right now and where I teach and coach, it's a lot of single-parent homes. It's a lot of um, families living together in a very small apartment. It's a lot of violence and almost gang mentality. And so, um, especially at the high school I'm coaching at, it's just a goal of I want these girls to be somebody, and I want them to feel empowered to make a difference and to um, just do something positive with their lives. So... That's kind of where I land um, with coaching is it's just another opportunity to be somebody who's consistently there day in and day out, even though it's just teaching them how to hit a ball across a net um, that is going to be there. If something crazy happens, they'll be able to call me. Um, It's a situation where um, it just so happens that the high school I got this coaching job at has a very long line of losing records and um, just a pretty weak program in general. And so what I came into was a mess of these girls being so frustrated with losing and the environment where we would go to an away game or they would go to an away game before I got there and lose and they would just be teased and harassed by the other teams. So they would go in and like clog the toilets on purpose and overflow the bathrooms and you know throw wads of paper on the ceiling and stuff. And so... Um, coming into that, it, it adds even another layer of holding them responsible for something and being quite possibly the only person in their life that's holding them responsible for the way they act and trying to instill an idea of the way you represent yourself is the way you represent our school, it's the way you represent me, um, and so we're, we're going to have no nonsense. You're not going to act that way. Um, you're going to have respect for yourself, and you're going to have dignity and pride, and if you lose, you walk out with your head held high and say, I did my best, and if your best isn't good enough, that's just the way it is. You got to train harder and be better next year, um, but being a person in their life that's willing to say, yeah, that was ugly. Something has to change, and I'm going to be there every step of the way to help you change it, and I'm going to give you these ways to change it, and you can take advantage of that or not, but I'm going to be there to help you with it. Yeah, so I mean, taking that whole idea of a mentor, I mean, to a whole new level, and I, I got the privilege, obviously, of of watching you coach the first year, and then, um, 
because of my flexibility, getting to be your assistant joining coach. Yeah, team. joining the team. So it was definitely a different experience um, being at practices every day and trying to help uh, help lead sometimes the practices and be, be involved um, with them. I got to do study hall several times um, with uh, both the JV and the high school team, and it was quite fun just to overhear their conversations and to see them grow um, yeah. in their sense of pride and... Um, kind of self-worth as a team um, as you help them achieve something, you know, winning their first game in years um, and things. I, I, I was uh, definitely moved by that. So, uh, and definitely felt privileged to just kind of be a fly on the wall in that experience. Um, but, you know, it's kind of amazing that you're still at Blair. Uh, I think a lot of people thought you wouldn't be there this second year. Yeah. Um, and actually, you had a lot of, of offers to go to other schools. And I, I mean, obviously, it seems kind of a little bit prideful to be like zoning in on those things. Like, oh, the, all these teams wanted me. But there is a reality that Blair is, um, you know, a, te- a team and a school itself that the league wants to get rid of and uh right it's it's kind of a sweet spot for me because and and it kind of is prideful as well but I've never been part of a losing program ever um I didn't grow up in an area where we didn't have money you know so I I played club and I played at school and we had nice uniforms and we showed up and we smoked people you know and so Blair is kind of this interesting place where it just drives me crazy to lose, but the being able to shape young girls into something that they're able to respect themselves in is so much cooler than winning. Yeah, so I mean, it was quite an interesting experience to have coach, you know, in the club starts after high school season, so you, uh, after your first year, you ended up coaching for OBC, or not OBC, that was your... Uh, Forza, uh, it was OBC Forza, in Oregon. Sorry, OBC in Oregon. Uh, Forza won, and you uh, you end up coaching some girls who are now on one of uh, several of the teams that you play Opposing against. high schools, yeah. yeah. Opposing <laughs> high schools. Um, and, uh, yeah, they came in and smoked us. Oh, they uh, did. <laughs> yeah. They did. But, so, I mean, uh, none of, and I think maybe one of your girls will be on a club team. I don't know if she got on it, but um, we're invited to. But, but none of your girls over this last year uh, that were on your team have played club at all. Right, they just uh, don't have the means to do it. Don't have the, the means to do that. So, um, you know, why why are you staying at Blair then? And uh, and kind of what's well, what's the reason behind that versus going to maybe one of these more suburb schools that uh, has more money and has girls playing club and things? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I think that it's so much more powerful for these girls to have somebody consistent in their lives than it is for me to be part of a winning program. Um, I would so much rather lose every game but graduate players who have transformed from girls who don't have any pride and self-worth into girls who really recognize their own strength and power in the world um, than be in a program where it's prestigious and they all play club and all of their moms drive the van and you know where they have a functioning snack bar that I don't have to run um where I I just don't think I'd be able to make as much of a difference there except for in the volleyball realm so I could teach them how to hit a ball and I could teach them how to dive without hurting themselves but 
they don't need me there to teach them how to be a respectable young woman. They don't need me there to encourage prideful or, you know, a behavior where they can feel pride in themselves. And they just kind of don't need that role model because they have so much of that already. Whereas at Blair, they just, they don't really have that. And I've said this to you several times, almost every time I tell you about why I want to be at Blair. Um, just so many people give up on, on these students at Blair where, whether it's teachers that are just there for a year and then leave, or administration has been crazy at Blair, where it's like, it seems like every year there's a new administrator, um, and they just have had horrible coaching staff, where they have teachers who want to keep the program alive, but they just aren't part of the volleyball world and, and community, so they're doing their best, but their best just isn't good enough to create a winning program, and so the reason I want to stay there so badly is because I think I can make a difference. I think I can teach them how to be good volleyball players, but also good people. And it shows them that not everybody quits. And even when it's hard, sometimes it's worth it to stick it out and, and just make it better, no matter what it takes. Even if it's during the off season when I don't get paid anymore, I'm going to take them to the gym and we're going to train hard for an hour. And we're going to, you know, we're going to build those muscles and we're going to you know, work on, work on our footwork and stuff because that's what it's going to take. And that's, that's what commitment looks like. And I want them to see that in somebody. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we could probably talk about, um, commitment and all of these things, um, all night, but I, um, I think it's been fantastic to just be, you know, doing this journey with you and, uh, what you're doing for those players and just to see, uh, you know, especially the girls that were on the team last year and this year, uh, their growth and um, just self-worth and all that. Uh, so, you know, I can't have you on the podcast without asking some questions about um, what it's like being in ministry, which is kind oh, of good. why we were um, <laughs> why we were on the first podcast. Uh, and I felt like, you know, now it'd be kind of fun to reflect on some of the conversations that we've had over the past um, nearly three years of marriage right. and, and uh, full-time ministry. And, you know, you, you put up with, um, one, moving to San Diego, and then, uh, you know, an upheaval from San Diego to come up here, and then even, you know, we were here for a little while, and then we moved to um, from Monrovia to Glendale, uh, and now live right next door to the church. So uh, literally my office is steps away, uh, which is great for me, but... Um, can be a little daunting and I get a, a lot of questions like how is it living next to the church or how does your wife deal with that so um so let let I'll just ask kind of an open-ended question what what is what's it like being a ministry wife it is something that you cannot prepare for and it is something that in premarital counseling um since we did it with both both people in the marriage um we did it with a pastor and with his wife uh, it was something that even she kind of looked at me and was like, this is different than a normal marriage, and I, I hope you understand that this is different than a normal marriage. And I kind of was like, yeah, well, of course it is. Yeah, well, of course, sure. And now that we've been married for almost three years, I can kind of look back and laugh at myself. I feel like I was, I was so naive to just think that, well, yeah, sure, it's different, it's okay. But it, it's just, really nobody can prepare you for it, um... There are expectations for you that you never in a million years would have thought were there. 
But if you think back on your childhood, you placed the same expectations on your pastor's wife. Um, there are joys, of course. I, I mean, we get to go to movies and ice skating and bowling and all kinds, all kinds of fun things um, because we're in youth ministry specifically um, that I get to just tag along for and I don't have to do any work, but I just get to be there for the ride. And then there are things like covering Sunday morning class because you're doing something else or because you're doing something with the parents or, um, you know, just nobody ever taught me how to write a devotional. Of course, I can because I teach and so I write lesson plans all the time, but um, just things that you don't think about doing in your in your free time. And I teach all week, so then when I teach on the weekends, it kind of adds a weird dynamic to my life where... Sunday feels like Monday because I'm teaching on Sunday. Um, and then, you know, bringing breakfast for Sunday morning fellowship and visiting people in the hospital and all kinds of things that you just don't know kind of what you're getting into until you're into it. And then we have a lot of conversations, you and I, about this is where I'm going to draw the line. I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to stay on this side of that line. I'm not going to take over that. I'm not going to you know, be there for every single overnight lock-in thing always. Um, and you kind of just have to write your own rules and create your own boundaries, I guess, which is something we're still working on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I will be the first one to admit I, I'm a workaholic, so, um, and there'll be many more podcasts where I reflect on my own abilities <laughs> to uh, do healthy boundaries and things. Um, and I, And I've heard people talk about how that's kind of a, not a realistic way to say it, you know, that there are, it's more like there are seasons where ministers are better husbands, um, or, or spouses, um, and then ministers are sometimes better at their job and they're just a better minister. And there is, there's not really a happy balance, but that you actually kind of need to move and and be, uh, with the seasons of life. And I, I resist that a little bit. I do think there are, like you said, some, some boundaries and lines that I need to work on for sure. Um, we've been happily supi- surprised by living close to the church here. It yeah, hasn't been too no, bad. Not one person has knocked on our door asking to be let in. So yeah, I'm yeah, feeling good one, about that. The one fear <laughs> that we had was we were going to get taken advantage of. But um, well, uh, so you know, I just wanted to kind of think about a little bit that you're you're actually fulfilling a, a huge part of what you are wanting to do with uh, uh, students that you teach and, um, you know, the little, little kids all mm-hmm. the way through um, to the, the high schoolers that you coach and the middle school kids that you coach on your club team. Um, with our high school and middle school students at our, our church, I mean, you're, you're really a mentor in their lives. I mean, that's a huge way that you add value to uh, my ministry, not just my life being my wife, but you, you add value because of the way that you love and care for them. I mean, I've had uh, a transition from going from a youth group of mostly guys in San Diego to a youth group of almost right. all girls here, at least almost all the high school kids are. Um, so, you know, uh, I just thought I would take this moment to thank you publicly uh, for all of the ways that you mentor them. Um, one thing that I thought would be interesting just to reflect on with that mentor kind of thing was we did a, a faith and sexuality kind of relationships class mm-hmm. um, where we got pretty explicit about things. Um, right. And so, you know, we had break up time, breakout times where um, 
you were you were leading the girls' discussions and I was leading the gr- discussions with um, the guys. So you know, uh, talk a little bit about that experience, um, how it was mentoring them, and and kind of what you see as from an educator standpoint and education. Um, how does how does a youth group or a youth ministry add value to you know students' lives? Well, I think especially specifically with the faith and sexuality thing that we did over the summer, it was cool to be a part of that because the girls, you know, when we did our breakout sessions, it was just us girls in the living room, and we were able to just kind of talk through some some very real life issues that that they have as teenage girls in today's society and um, questions that, you know, of course, if they had questions that were beyond where we were, we were referring them back to their parents, but them just kind of having the freedom to know that they could ask a question and I would give them the straight up answer and I wasn't going to sugarcoat it and I wasn't going to lie and I wasn't going to deflect. I was just going to be as honest as I could. Um, that's something that just isn't offered. You know, public school has sex education but it's very cut and dry. It's very like, this is what childbirth looks like. This is what abstinence is. Here's a fake baby to carry around for 72 hours. Come back with a report written at the end of it. So it's it's not getting to those deep questions of like, why do girls have dress code and boys don't? Or, you know, just things that they're wrestling with that just don't really get addressed and they could ask their parents but maybe they're too shy or they're too they feel awkward about it um and so that that was powerful I think just as a as a whole and it kind of bonds them together as well because it's like oh I'm not alone in in asking that question everybody kind of has that question that's my age and you know I have a boyfriend and I I don't want to be alone with him because I'm just afraid that something will happen how do I tell him and oh, I have that question too, I, I feel weird about that too, what, you know, and they kind of really get to bond over that, where if they're just sitting at lunch at school, they're not going to be talking about that, they're not going to bring that up and be like, I don't want to be alone with my boyfriend because this, oh yeah, me too, that's just not going to come up, um, and so we kind of have a unique space where we get to do stuff like that, and you can't do that as an educator, obviously, um, so we kind of get to do that, and that's, that's really cool. And I forgot the rest of your questions. So. Oh, no, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that answers it for sure. Um, so, you know, I think um, just in kind of closing here, I thought it'd be um, neat to just kind of talk about something that um, you've really introduced to me. Um, and obviously it's not something we do perfectly, but I think it's definitely added value to our marriage and it will continue to do that. Um you uh, wrote 365 little love notes um, and put them in a jar for my birthday. Um, and so I have this Which you've last... read like five of. <laughs> I've, no, I've read a lot more than five. But anyway, I don't read one every day. I should. But I'm, I'm letting it expand longer. So that's awesome. Longer it last than us for like 10 years. No <laughs> birthday right. presents for 10 years. That's right. That's right. Um, but when, when you gave me that, then you also created another jar to have at home and it's sitting in our our bookshelf right now um 
that is called our joy jar and I've added a few to them but you you're better than me um, at adding trying to add one at least kind of like once a week or something Um, so uh, you know there are things that um, are really really important obviously to child development and all these kind of things to education to the way we are as people Um, one of the things that and you and I are becoming more and more aware of, and we were actually just listening to um, Brene Brown's uh, audio book right. um, where she talks about vulnerability and stuff. And one of the things she says is that on all this research, the, the, um, the people who are kind of above and beyond, like they live life to the fullest, or if you will, I can't remember what she calls them, um, but they are... They're people of gratitude. They just, they practice gratitude daily and constantly. And one of the ways that she talks about it is, um, you know, keeping kind of a journal of gratitude or, or um, taking time to write those things out. And, and obviously there's a lot of spiritual disciplines around gratitude right. and being thankful. Um, but the joy jar is kind of your take on that. And I think obviously, I mean, there's, there's people can make their own joy jar if they want. Right, right. Um, but talk a little bit about how you find that the joy jar has added value to um, to your life. Um, well, one thing I like about it is that usually, you know, when when it's not Christmas time and things are put up, usually the joy jar is in a very prominent place in our house, and it's kind of right by the front door, right where people kick their shoes off. And so when we do host people in our home, it is one of the first things they see when they walk in. And so I think it's a really cool conversation starter. And going back to kind of my mantra of wanting to inspire someone every day, it's kind of a cool way to just be like, oh, yeah, that's something we do to just recognize what we have to be thankful for. And when we think about it, which isn't every day, but when we think about it, we just write down something we're really thankful for that day or in that moment, and we drop it in. And at the end of the year, we'll dump it out and read everything we were thankful for that year. Um, That's kind of the public side of what I like about it, but... I like the way it, it reframes my mind, and I, I think that it adds value to my life because I'm kind of a critical person. I'm kind of, like, I like organization, and I like pattern, and I like routine, and I like things to be a certain way. Um, and so I can kind of get caught up in the dishes aren't clean, the shoes aren't tidy, the this is d- dusty or dirty, and I kind of get caught up in this cycle of negativity, and then when I'm cleaning the shoes and I'm all in a tizzy about how they're messy and I look over and the joy jar is right there, it kind of stops me in my tracks and forces me to restart in a frame of mind that's like, but I have a house to put my dirty shoes in and I have a shelf specifically for my shoes. And and it's just a really little way to kind of just stop and be like, having dirty shoes on a shelf or having dirty dishes in a sink is such a first world problem. (laughs) It's such a a non-issue, um, and just little things, like, I'm just thankful for Misty, and I'm thankful for good insurance, and, you know, just, I'm thankful that when you broke your glasses, you could get a new pair for a relatively cheap price, and so it's, it's really helped me kind of create a healthier frame of mind, and a, a better mindset for when I leave the house in the morning, my shoes are right next to it, when I come home, my shoes go right next to it, and so, kind of a constant reminder that's always there.
All right, yeah. So um, definitely recommend the Joy Jar as yes. a thing to add. Make value. your own, and it's really colorful and fun. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Well, um, I'm I'm sure this won't be the last time that you're on the podcast. <laughs> so uh, thanks for being on, and uh, we'll catch you next me. time. All right. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.